everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Neill. And today is a very special podcast because I'm joined by my wife. The last time she was on the podcast, we were engaged. Now she's my wife. And now we are living in Houston, Texas for the winter. Liv, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, hubby. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to be doing a Q&A with two of our friends, uh, Greg and Vanessa. Uh, they are coaches with their company Evolve to Excel and their fellow Canadians. They're actually living abroad in Spain and we were waiting for them to join and they just joined. So we'll let them enter and we're going to chat about coaching today. Nice little Q&A podcast. All things coaching. I think All mainly coaching. coaching. Yeah, I think so too. Good morning. Good morning. We're live already. We figured we'd just throw you guys right in here. Jumping right into it. Jumping right in. It's the way to go. We were sitting here asking questions about you guys. Like, oh, does Vanessa still compete? Like, what what time is it over there? And then we're like, okay, we'll just bring them in and just start nailing you with questions. It is five o'clock over here. Five p.m. Five p.m. on this side of the world. Wow. Does Vanessa still compete? She does not. <laughs> no, I stopped competing, I think, in right before COVID happened, honestly. Yeah. Okay. I was okay. planning to do some competitions in 2020, and then obviously that didn't happen. And then I just like, I guess my, I'm not competing anymore, period. I just stopped at that point. And was that powerlifting or Olympic lifting? Yeah, that's when I was doing powerlifting at that time. Okay. But yeah, Greg, I competed. You did one last show, right? Sorry, sorry. Greg, you did one last show? Yeah, I did. My last bodybuilding show was like 18 months ago. Yeah. Like a little over two years ago. And I, I don't have any plans of competing again. No? No. Just living the BJJ life? Living the BJJ life, which I also don't really have any plans of competing in. I competed in, in jiu-jitsu when I was like 9, 10, 12 years old way back then but honestly i just see a lot of people i wouldn't say a lot of people that isn't a lot of people it's a very small percentage of people who do jujitsu uh and compete in jujitsu who don't care if they injure the person they're competing with and i never want to be caught in a position where someone's gripping and ripping a submission on me and then i'm just like injured yeah. because of some some stupid idiot because it's just low risk sorry High risk. High risk, low Yeah, for sure. I was actually really excited to have you guys on the podcast because especially with our current situation, like you guys are living in Spain, which is really frigging cool. You just up and moved to Spain. And yeah. we decided, I was like, you know what? If they can move to Spain, we can move to Texas. So yeah. we moved, moved to Texas for the winter. And uh, yeah, like I will maybe just that's the first question. Why up and leave to Spain? Yeah. Um, well, I'll say like this. How much time do you have? How long is this talk? <laughs> yeah, man. Cole's notes. Um, Cole's notes. I would say I was probably like the instigator of all this. Tell, tell the story. Okay. We have like, I had this like moment in my head. It was what, like. What do, you, what do you call that? Like a, like a core moment or core memory. Core memory. Core memory. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we had like just moved into our house in Binbrook, Ontario, like middle of absolute nowhere. I had like cows and pigs as neighbors. And um, I just had this like feeling that I had to live in Europe. Like it was deep within my core. I'm just like, I have to. So I had a conversation with Greg that day and I was just like, she was, she was, she was sitting on the counter. <laughs> she was sitting on the kitchen counter and she goes like, we Greg, talk. like we got, we got to talk. And I was like, fuck. Oh, <laughs> she did that to me once too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was just like, I need to know if you're willing to move someday. Because like, I'm telling you, I have to do it, even if it's for a year or whatever. And he was on board. So pretty much from that point on, I was trying to make moves to be able to do that. So at the time I was still a chartered accountant working full-time there. So then I started getting rid of that job, started getting into uh, nutrition coaching. And then, uh, yeah, when we actually launched our business, then we're like, what are we doing in Canada? It was really cold, obviously, you guys know. Mm -hmm. uh, I hated the cold. And I just felt like I didn't really 
jive there. Like, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I fit well. And then every time I went to Europe, I felt like, ah, this feels like at home. So yeah, then we made the move. COVID kind of like changed things up too, because we were actually going to spend six months in Colombia, six months in Spain, and then decide which one, which uh, place we wanted to live. But then we didn't end up going to Colombia because of COVID. So then we're like, you know what, let's just go to Spain. So I have my Italian citizenship thanks to my dad who did all that paperwork for me. <laughs> so uh, that made it super easy. And Greg is just lucky to be married to me. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> it's so funny because on his like resident card here, it says like dependent on, and it has my uh, number here. So it's like, if he ever pisses me off, he's going back, <laughs> going back to Canada. <laughs> I, get, I get threatened a lot. <laughs> if lost, please return to Vanessa. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, That's so funny. The the conversation, hey, we need to talk. Liv did that to me when she decided she wasn't going to go to pilot school. Nice. Comes into my office, she goes, I don't think I'm happy with the life that I'm living. And I go, I go oh my Perfect. God, are you leaving me? What's going on here? And I totally wasn't ready for it. She goes, no, no, no. But that ended up that ended up doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So you guys yeah. are in Texas now for this winter? Yeah, we got here on February, or sorry, on January 14th. Yeah. Hey, yeah. How are you guys liking it? It's great. I love it. Liv? It's a nice change. I like yeah. being away from the cold. Um, people are a little bit friendlier down here, I find. Gyms are cooler and nicer. Um, but... That was that's another question about European gyms because every time I've been to Europe, they have not been great. So we went but... from Pure Muscle and Fitness in Burlington, Ontario, which is mm -hmm. literally the nicest gym I've ever been in my entire yes. life. We went from that to these European gyms, which I mean, we you can't say European gyms because there are some a lot of countries yeah. in Europe that have like killer gyms. But Spain is not one of them. At least not, like, not, not, not where like we are. Because the gym that we go to, I consider like the best, most well-rounded gym in the city. And it's trash. <laughs> it's what's yeah. the, so trash. what's the what's the whole fitness industry like in Spain, let's say particularly? I would say like Europe as a whole is probably just a few years behind North America um Spain specifically like just some of the things we've heard is just like let's say nutrition because that's what we're uh, most familiar with that is let's say like 10 years behind so they're like still not really there's no coaching involved I would say it's more like here's meal plans or like here's foods you don't eat and things like that mm -hmm. so um yeah I don't think there's like actual a lot of good nutritionists yet in yeah. Spain we know a couple yeah we do here yeah we do know a couple but and as, yeah. as a whole yeah it's like this is your meal plan if you follow this you'll lose weight it's like following I'm, it i'm curious as to whether like so obviously for most of the audience here is going to be coaches i'm sure we'll get a lot of people who uh, are tuning in because they know you guys they know us but i'm curious as to know is your main demographic still north american or are you like super international now no, I would say it hasn't changed at all since when we were uh, in Canada. I would say, like, if we give, like, a percentage, like, 75% from, yeah. from Canada and the United the States. Yeah. And, and the, the other 25, like, everywhere. Literally. Like, we yeah, have clients everywhere. in Kuwait. We have clients in Spain. We have clients in Japan, all over the place. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's what I've always loved. About, like, I, this year, I got my first client from Kuwait. And I've had, oh, clients, I've had clients in Australia, in the UK, and it's online business. And like, Liv, you had a client from the Philippines? Yeah, in Australia. In Australia. So it's, oh, it's cool online business. It's, it got to a point where it's like, we, we have built so many, you guys obviously know that we're big travelers. Mm -hmm. We built so many connections, like all across the world, that like a lot of the countries that we go to or like the major cities that we go to, like we know someone that we can meet up in those places. And I think that is like so cool. Or, cool. or at least someone we can message to be like, okay, what are the tourist traps we need to avoid? Like <laughs> where can we get like the local experience? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what we're down for too. Um, all right, so let's jump into Q and A because that's why we had you guys on. Um, we listen. We we've been following you guys for a while. Unfortunately, we've never met in person, which sucks. Yeah. But, totally. um, yeah, but obviously, following your content, the the values in terms of coaching and and coach athlete relationship and philosophy definitely align. So I'm really curious uh, to hear you guys speak more in long form about the things that you do and, and you believe in. The first question that I think we could jump into and be really interesting is how do I accept that my training and my physique are not what I, what they used to be when I'm not what I used to be? So for context, mm -hmm. this is a 50 year old woman who used to compete in uh, physique bodybuilding at quite a high level she's now a mother of three and struggling to enjoy her training because she can't push as hard as she used to and also she can't look like she used to because she's not able to prioritize herself in the same way yeah Vanessa <laughs> well I would think uh like the first thing is that you have to recognize that you're in like completely different stages of life. Right. And you need to have some compassion with yourself because the results that you got when you were 20, 30, 40, whenever it may have been, your life looked a lot different in order to be able to achieve those results. Mm -hmm. So if you are now at the point where you are not able because of, you know, life responsibilities, things like that, or not willing to put yourself in that same position to do those same behaviors, then you owe it to yourself to have more realistic expectations, right? Because you're just going to keep beating yourself up when, you know, you're not willing to even do what it took you to get there, which understandably so, because life changes. You're not um, going to have the same goals at 20 and 30 as you do when you're 50, for example. And it's also accepting, like, we have 24 hours in a day and we have a certain mental and physical capacity to do certain things. And if this person, I think you said they have kids now. Yeah. Yeah. That comes from something, you know, yeah. that comes from the 24 hours of your day. That comes from your mental and physical abilities in a day. We need to understand that when we add those things to our plate, that has to come from somewhere. It just isn't just like you're adding something. You're also taking something away. Yeah. So there needs, there needs to be the give and take um, or understanding at least of the give and take. When it comes to what you said about her feeling poorly because she isn't able to push herself to the same extent that she was before, what I, something my coach brain perks up when I hear that, that this person isn't paying attention to how training and how living the healthy, balanced lifestyle that she lives makes her feel. Like when I'm hearing someone who's getting very motivated at just seeing the number go higher, just seeing certain number, certain numbers in the gym, what I'm hearing is someone who isn't paying attention of the inherent satisfaction they get from putting those workouts in, how good it makes them feel and paying more energy and attention towards those things. Cause that is the fuel. That is the motivation, the intrinsic motivation that is going to continue them down that path and follow through with those behaviors more and more over time. Like that. Liv? I think too, it, it could be holding on to a certain thing that was going on in her life during that stage, oh, well, yeah. like certain emotions and actual internal happiness that she felt at that body weight or that physique but it wasn't the body weight or the physique that was bringing the happiness it was something else so that's what you have to be searching for not mm -hmm. the external package yeah. the I, didn't even, I didn't even think of that that's super valuable uh, Vanessa I like what you said about are you able to or are you willing to and those being two different things um, and Greg, you mentioned the, you know, adding versus subtracting and something that I like to always bring people back to is that there's, there's no matter what decision you make, there's a trade-off, right? So if you're, you might be willing to do, say, say in her situation, you might be willing to give three hours a day to your training, but the trade-off is that you're not able to be as good of a mother as you want to be. Exactly. So are you willing to make that trade-off becomes mm -hmm. the question. And, and you guys framed that, framed that perfectly. Um, the next question, 
is what's been the hardest thing for you to learn as a coach? Oh, I would say for me, the hardest thing to learn it was combating my writing reflex, which I think is something every coach needs to do. When we first get into coaching and we first get into helping people, we have a tendency, a bad habit of immediately jumping to the solution. My client tells me a problem and we immediately go, here's the solution, where that isn't the most effective way to coach people. That isn't a way that is going to, is likely to lead to the outcomes that we're expecting for our clients or that we're wanting from our clients, because our clients need to come up with the solutions that are appropriate for them. And we can look at a client and we can have tons of experience working with hundreds of clients over the years. And we can look at someone's problems and think, ah, I know what's going on here. I know what their problems are. But the reality is, is that we don't because everyone, we, we can have a population of people or a group of people who are running into similar issues, but the exact why behind those issues, it's going to be very unique to that person. So when we come up with solutions for our clients, the solutions need to come from them. And from a as coach, coaching perspective, we need to ask the right questions in order to help them come up with the solutions because they are the experts of their lives. We are the nutrition lifestyle training experts, but they are the experts of their lives, their wants, and their needs. So for me, the hardest thing was overcoming the writing reflex, which is something that still to this day I need to stay on top of. Mm. Vanessa? I was trying to think while he was talking and I was like, I don't know. Um, I mean, like, I think I'm very similar because I always wanted to solve people's problems, right? Like, I'd get excited when they ask a question because I'm like, here it is. But um, yeah, through, I guess, our years of coaching, like, I just sometimes cringe, actually, if I see an old response from myself, <laughs> like, eight years ago when I started coaching. I'm like, God, but I actually just read, I don't know who it was, I think it was Adam Grant or... Steve Magnet. Okay. Anyway, someone just shared that it was like, it's a good thing if you're cringing at yourself, your past self, because that is proof that you've grown and changed and like, thank goodness, because yeah, <laughs> but no, I don't think I have, I mean, do you have something that you know of for, for me? For you? Yeah. Like the hardest part. Hardest part of coaching for you is, well, I think the hardest part for coaching for you right now, right now is, is not over providing and not diving into every yeah. single detail. For me, I have a really hard time, like not touching on everything. You know, I'm like, oh, that is such a good one. I want to say something. So I'm personally right now working on just sticking to the most impactful things for that check-in and then carrying on later. Yeah. Law of diminishing returns when dealing with clients. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Do you find the more people you've worked with, you're able to pinpoint what exactly they need? Like you're able to like read between the lines of their check-in responses so that you're not like, here's the solution, but you're able to kind of collect all of this. So I think, yeah, we've become better at identifying certain word usage, certain phrases, how things are communicated towards us, because that often gives us a lot of clues and hints of what's going on with that person. So like someone saying, oh, I hate mornings. I could never wake up early. That to me is showing me, you know, some fixed mindset talk for that specific situation. And that allows me to maybe ask some questions like, you know, have you ever enjoyed waking up early on the morning? What about Christmas morning? You know, what about the morning before a travel day? And that just brings some context to that situation to help them see that, oh, you know what, maybe I don't hate all mornings. Maybe it's, you know, what I have to work. So then we can figure out, okay, how can we make that morning for you more enjoyable, for example? But yeah, so I think it's more so kind of like paying attention to the words they use and the way in which they are saying things to help understand kind of what they need. Mm -hmm. I'm laughing because mornings are Liv's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have like a perma like grumpy face and so <laughs> no like yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm the big I'm the big morning person around here I think the hardest thing for me to learn as a coach 
there's two things. Number one is that I'm very type A. And if there's a right way to do things, there's a right way to do things. And if there's a wrong way to do things, there's a wrong way to do things. But that doesn't work in the real world. And it took me a lot of learning on my own, even for myself, to learn that it doesn't work with me. And using all the tools in my toolbox, depending on the on the context. And at this point, I've worked with a lot of people. And it just becomes much easier to accept that there is no right and wrong. It's whatever works is what works. And the other one is... I something very early on is I lacked empathy big time. It's like, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's just completely asinine um, because I am willing and able to do a lot of things that a lot of people can't do and won't do. And that's totally okay. So my ability to empathize is actually what I would consider to be a very big strength of mine now. Um, but it was probably the hardest thing to overcome. Sure. I think that's probably like the case for a lot of us too, especially when you start coaching kind of like when you're younger, maybe in your early twenties, it's like, you don't really know what challenges and struggles other people face. But now it's like, we can see, you know, we are very privileged. We have just us. We just work from home. We can go to the gym any time of the day. We don't have children to take care of. It's very much so like what I want to do, I can make it happen. Whereas a lot of our clients don't have that luxury. Yeah. The population bias too, right? Because like I started coaching competitors. Yeah. Competitors will do whatever you want. You tell them to eat shit, they'll eat shit. <laughs> but yeah. once you start working with normal people, real people. That doesn't happen. Yeah. With, you know, your experience in becoming more empathetic, I feel like most coaches, you start on one side of the spectrum or the other, where you don't have a lot of empathy and you are naturally more of, I would just say, like a hard-ass coach. I don't know how else you want to put it. Um, or you start having way too much empathy and too much compassion almost to a fault and you don't have the ability where you're letting things to slide. where you're letting yeah. everything slide and you don't have the ability to give tough love when you need to give tough love. And I think most coaches, almost all coaches are going to fall on one end of the spectrum or the other. And then in order to become a better coach, you need to bring yourself more into the middle between those things. And coaching is inherently like unnatural. You know what I mean? It's like, I've been coaching full-time for years. I've worked with literally over a thousand clients and still I will sit down and op open up a check-in and I'm like, how do I respond to this person? Like I'm, I'm needing to sit there and really think about what words I'm going to use and how I'm going to approach it from a behavior change perspective, because communicating in a coaching way is inherently unnatural. And us as coaches need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. It also depends on the person that you're talking to as well knowing yeah. them and they're going to take that message, whether they're going to take it harshly or be open to that feedback. Yeah, yeah totally. Sure. Yeah. I think that's like a part of the, the art of coaching too, right? Like knowing your audience and kind of adjusting your language for that. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's like I, I can communicate with some people completely different than I communicate with other people. Yeah. And if you switch it around, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Yeah, I would say the the hardest thing that I had to adapt to with coaching was trying to find balance with how much I give to myself versus my clients. Because there's times where nutrition is also obviously very psychological. And when there's a lot going on with them, I find myself pouring too much from my cup into them. And then it leaves me drained and I'm not able to give them the support that they need. So learning how to find balance there and kind of similar to, to you, Vanessa, not giving them so much, just touching on the, the, the big picture and the most important thing so that I still have some left for myself and for the other people that yeah, require. Sure. I was about to say, can you relate to that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I need to be better with, you know, boundaries and things like that for sure. Okay, I have a hilarious follow-up question to that one because that got pretty deep. What's one of the most ridiculous strategies you ever used with a client that worked? <laughs> I have one mm. at the top of my head, so I can go first if you want. Yeah, you go uh, first. Let me think about it. I overtly fat shamed one of my clients and he lost 60 pounds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Please explain. Yes. He was 
just being, I knew the type of person that he was a very high achiever. He's a CEO. And, uh, I was, you know, empathetic and trying to do all the normal coach things. And finally I got him on a call and I was like, can I be honest with you? He's like, absolutely. That's why, that's why I'm working with you. I want you to be honest with me. I'm like, you are being fat and lazy and making every excuse to continue to be fat and lazy because you're scared of what it means to lose weight. And he was like, yes. And so I continued to just lay into him about him being fat and lazy. And over the course of a year, he lost 60 pounds. Yeah. And he still has kept it off to this day. <laughs> Listen, embarrassment, shame, all of those emotions while they may not be the best tools for us to use as coaches, yeah, it, they are powerful motivators. Like we cannot <laughs> deny that they are powerful motivators for people. It's like, when I think I, those are like genuine, generally the short-term motivating factors, yes, right? And 100%. then as coaches, we try to show them the compassionate side, yes. <laughs> the more healthy way to motivate yourself. And, and positive. Yeah. And positive too. But yeah, there's no denying that it still is extremely motivating, but not necessarily something I, that we I want David Goggins his ass into 60 pounds. <laughs> it's actually my biggest pet peeve about David Goggins. It's like, it's motivation through self-hate. I'm like, eh, yeah, exactly. Like, that's not, not sure I, uh, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah, not usually a long-term behavior change strategy. Yeah, I don't think I've used anything wild, though. So. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think I've used anything wild, but I know that my clients have come up with wild stuff, and they're okay. like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Okay." Then yeah, like go <laughs> run with it. Keep going. I'm like, I would not recommend that. I don't know why it's working, but if it's working, keep going. I'm trying to even think what. I don't know. I don't know. Live there's not too many things that surprise me at this point <laughs> no yeah what's that do you have anything off the top of your head not really i'm not i'm not as harsh as you yeah it's true. so i definitely hold back from saying things like that um but i definitely like encourage clients to call themselves out on their own bullshit just by like asking questions right yeah. one thing like is it really hard to wake up in the morning? Have you tried? Like, what what lies are you telling yourself here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think they're, like, with, um, you know, people showing themselves compassion, sometimes it's taken to the extreme, right? Where they know how to pull back, but they don't know how to push forward when they are feeling resistance. And I think that's very important that, you know, a lot of people sometimes like the word self-compassion, maybe there needs to be another word for it because the athlete type of people will be like, oh, screw that. I'm not being self-compassionate, this, that. And then maybe the other side of people who are more compassionate, take it to the extreme where it's like, oh, it's okay. I didn't do that. It's okay. But then it's like been three or four weeks of it's okay. So it's, I think, really important to find or define that middle ground, which is like self-compassion is also calling yourself out when you're consistently not following through on those small promises that you're making to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then knowing when to pull back, like, you know, you got two hours of sleep, maybe training for the seventh day in a row isn't a good idea then. Maybe you take that one, <laughs> that one rest day or something like that. So it's kind of finding that uh, happy medium there. Mm -hmm. The thing that you were saying the other day about how, implementing self-compassion is still showing up for yourself and giving self-care, giving yourself self-care. So if I'm using like being overly compassionate and that is a justification for not showing up and following through with what I said I was going to follow through with, that inherently is not oh, yeah. compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Getting to yourself to do what's in your best interest and what's in your best for your well-being. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Or even sometimes letting yourself down and not following through with promises that you made to yourself is not something that you would want your best friend or your partner to do. Yeah, exactly. So I love using that actually. Anytime, like negative self-talk, not following through on things. I love to ask like, oh, how would you feel if this was your daughter telling you this? You know, if your daughter was hating on herself, on her body or something. And it's it's really interesting just to get them kind of flip that. Because all of the time it's like, oh my God, I would never say that to someone else. When it's like, well, why the hell are you saying it to yourself? Like, you know, you're the most important person. So I said that to a client once and she just 
bald in person. I said that to her. I'm like, how would you feel if your daughter was talking to herself like that? Just, I was like, well, yeah, it yeah, really helps like it, put things into perspective, totally. right? It hits home. And a lot of the time that has to do with like kind of beliefs about if I were more compassionate with myself, if I wasn't being so hard on myself, then I wouldn't show up because they're thinking that being so hard and brutally hard on themselves is the motivating factor when in reality, that might be the thing that is holding them back and being more compassionate is actually going to lead to the outcomes that they're looking to achieve. So sometimes a part of making that change with clients is breaking down those false beliefs that is potentially keeping them in that cycle. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, right. A bit more of an X's and O's question. I usually fast until noon, but I'm competing in an adventure race that starts first thing in the morning. How should I approach my fueling? Okay. Well, we know that training fasted is not beneficial for performance. There's a lot of people who prefer to train fasted, but that is because they have not trained their gut yet in order to handle that food that early in the morning or immediately before exercise. So if he is used to training or sorry, a fasting until noon, but he has this competition first thing in the morning, it is important that he trains his gut to be able to handle that food at that time of day and uh, that close to his training session. So there should be a gradual process to get there. I think laying out what the ultimate goal is of how much he wants to consume, uh, pre-race, pre-event, whatever, and then taking small steps to get there. So that could be something as simple as starting to rehydrate really well first thing in the morning and not adding any calories in. And then after that starts to feel comfortable, then we're adding a very quick, easy digesting carb source, like a small glass of fruit juice. And then when that starts to feel comfortable, then we make that a little bit more complex and heavier carb source. Then when that starts to feel comfortable, then we start to add some protein in, et cetera. And then you get to a point where we are covering carbohydrates, protein, and hydration first thing in the morning. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Any other things to add? a couple things uh, i would just ask well what time is he doing his training now how many meals has he gotten in by that point how many calories has he gotten in by that point and trying to replicate that and shifting it to earlier in the morning before that race so he's the same fuel going into the race just earlier now yeah, yeah that's a good sure. point i'm i'm big on if you're training first thing in the morning that meal before you go to bed is going to be very important so i would agree i would agree with greg's strategy and that like you got to kind of taper in the hydration the calories and then the density of those calories as you go but the that meal before bed placing a higher priority on that and there's also i would try to educate and kind of reframe the idea of training fasted because there was at one point when keto was really popular in the endurance community like i'm going to train fasted i'm going to be fat adapted and then when i go to go to compete i'm going to dump a ton of carbs on this thing and we're just going to fly and what ended up happening is and because you're training fasted you're not getting as much of a training stimulus so you're not able to accumulate as much fitness and so your competitive advantage is kind of dropped off i would educate them on that and start off like typically when training for endurance events People will only do one longer, longer session per week. So I would use that one as the one I would play with yeah. in terms of the fueling strategy. Um, and I would really hammer hydration, like different, different uh, frequencies and volumes of salt and water to see what feels best for them over the course of the, you know, eight to 12 weeks pre-race. Um, and then depending on the length of the race, you could look at intra race nutrition as well as a means to kind of bridge the gap between those two things mm -hmm. totally yeah hydration is huge though like i don't think oh no yeah any athletes really understand just how crucial it is to their performance and i have so many clients that are athletes so now i'm using that as <laughs> like some motivation to get them to drink water because if i'm just like it's important for your health no one seems to care but i'm like your performance is impacted by 20 percent <laughs> okay if you are not uh i think that gives people a little bit of a kick in the butt <laughs> yeah the stats on hydration and performance are pretty well it's like super percent 
dehydration. Yeah, 2% dehydration, which isn't even enough to make you thirsty, can negatively impact your performance by 20%. It's It's like, if you said anything else is going to have a 20% increase on your performance, people would be losing their minds. Like, how much money do I need to pay to get this thing? It's like, drink more More water. water. The... uh... Any most performance declines in physical activity are due to acute dehydration. And I actually saw a statistic yesterday. I knew I knew that this was true. I just didn't know the actual statistic and nor can I remember it off the top of my head. But even after a 24 hour fast, your glycogen stores are only minimally depleted. But you're going to be so dehydrated. That's why your performance is going to decline. So even if you fasted for 24 hours, but you maintained your sodium and your water intake, you probably wouldn't have much of a performance decline at all. Yeah. So sure. very, very cool. Um, did you guys get any questions in your question box? We got like not much. I don't even know if I got any. Do you want me to check your account? Me? Yeah. We can make up our two chats. <laughs> I was saying before we started this call, I feel like I, I know you guys so well, but this is the first time we've actually like spoke to each other. Have a conversation. I know. I know. It's It's been, uh, did you, okay, were you guys at hybrid at the same time? You and Liv? No. I think we I, were like just swapping, right? Like as we were leaving, we were coming. Yeah. I think I was maybe one of the, the replacements that came in after you guys left. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think so. Yeah, you might have been on one call that we like all had together, but then yeah, we went our own way. It's, I think it's so cool how the internet can connect people and like even just through the way that you speak in public and the way that you present information, you, you know, like, hey, like that's that's my person. Like that, that's my kind of people. And yeah. that's why honestly I love podcasting so much because it's a great excuse to hop on and chat with cool people and learn about them and have these nuanced conversations that honestly, when's, when's any other, actually I'm speaking to the wrong people, but usually I will say, when's the last time you sat uninterrupted without your phone for an hour with somebody? And I'm like, <laughs> I do that all the time with my wife and I do that all the time with my friends, but podcasting is just a great excuse to just put everything aside and have a conversation about something. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I agree. It's really cool. Actually, we were just talking about that with like the nature of our jobs. It's cool that we can just meet different and cool people like that do the most crazy shit ever but greg specifically just had a, a new client sign up and go ahead Penguin. i just got this new client last no like a couple days ago yeah. i was on a free video consult with him and i'm just like tell me more about you like what's what's your life like this guy is an international dj okay but wait you have to who, say how it started what Hello. oh he said he's like oh yeah he's he casually mentioned that he has 16 years of djing experience and i was like oh okay you look pretty young and then uh, he mentioned later he's 25 years old and i was like oh, oh, oh. i said like, you just said you said you have 16 years djing experience but you're 25 years old he's like yeah i started djing when i was like eight and a half and they got a paid gig i feel like his first paid gig when he's eight and a half and then he sold out his first like entire event when he was 15 years old and i'm just like what what is going on here i'm gonna start googling like child prodigy djs (laughs) yeah that's just like one example of like this incredible people that we meet through this job you also have your other client that does the the horse saddles Oh yeah, yeah. Ben Geisler, he's like he's a a horse saddle prodigy, like one of the youngest people in the United States doing it. Like and his Instagram is wild. He's got like tons of views, three hundred thousand followers or something like that on IG. I don't know, but and he does custom made like horse saddles. saddles yeah, yeah, it's really cool. But yeah, I love like meeting, and I think that's why I love traveling so much too. Just like experiencing different ways of living. Like I love hearing other people's stories. Like sounding like my dad now (laughs) my dad first thing when he meets something tell me about you where have you been what brought you here (laughs) like he wants to know everyone's life story I love that Liv did a lot of traveling before we met and I actually admittedly had never been outside of U.S. and Canada until Liv and I went to Panama oh Oh, cool cool. we're We're going there in March we're going there actually so cool so we're 
Where have you been since then, Paul? Um, well, we went to Jamaica for our wedding. Uh, we did a cruise, which we went to Jamaica, Bahamas, Grand Cayman, and Turks and Caicos. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was just a really cool experience. Being on a boat and just seeing blue around you, you feel very, very small. Um, also gaining 12 pounds in a week was, I highly recommend that for sure. Um, and then, uh, we have a few other trips planned. Like, I mean, we moved to Houston for the winter. Uh, we've been to Miami a couple of times. Um, we went out East. I'd never been to the East coast of Canada. So went and visited the East coast and we're going to go to Europe this summer on our honeymoon, Yeah, official Europe honeymoon. has to be up there. Oh Well, yeah. do you know where you're going in Europe? I really want to go to Croatia. Yeah, nice. Live. We went there for our honeymoon, actually. Yeah, where have you been, Olivia? Um, I, I did a little backpacking trip in Greece, Italy, France, and Spain, just kind of like hitting some places along the Mediterranean. Um, I've been to Chile, uh, Costa Rica, Ireland. Um, hmm. I think some other places, some, some other Caribbean places. Uh, but I think, I think that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Really cool. I'm excited. I'm excited for Paul to have his first like legit culture shock, like Yeah. somewhere. I Well, did I think though you're in cool. Panama. Oh, Yeah. that's nice. Yeah, Panama. that's, Yeah. yeah, it's much Yeah. different. But, but even so, I, th I think we can get more. We can get more of a culture shock, like drop, drop Paul in the middle of like Taiwan or something. Like, I feel like I would stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's That's this guy everywhere me we too. travel. Yeah, I always stick out. I stick out here, man. yeah <laughs> he did. the funniest was like him in Colombia when we were there for like two months because I like fit in pretty much look the same as everyone everyone's speaking to me in Spanish when I'm by myself but then I have Greg with me he like towers over the men there because they're all like pretty petite overall Yeah, just that, that was when yeah I was at my absolute biggest, too. I was, like, 112 kilos. And we went to this, like, small Colombian town. And I'm just, like, Yeah. walking through. Literally, everyone at the tables are, like, Everyone was staring at like, him like he was <laughs> what is like this guy Godzilla doing here? coming through. Yeah. <laughs> That's when funny. you guys moved there, did you start using like kilos as body weight? I always use Yeah. kilos, I think, since Oh, really? I was weightlifting. So I've used it. Forever, but yeah, they do use. Yeah. Ever, ever since, ever since we, uh, yeah, started weightlifting, Yeah, we've been use like kilo plates and stuff. full Yeah. kilos And I think definitely centimeters. like Olympic weightlifting versus powerlifting, they definitely use kilos all the time. Whereas powerlifting, I, you always see both, Yeah. depending on the federation. Speaking of powerlifting or lifting, Mm -hmm. Olivia, we were talking about your insane quad picture you posted. Yes. Like, I was, I was saying to Greg, I'm like, if I didn't know how muscular she was, I would think her legs are photoshopped. just exactly. <laughs> like they don't even look human. Like that's wild. Wild, absolutely Yeah. mirroring the quad gains. Yeah. But funny thing is like the dialogue right as I was taking that picture, Paul's standing right beside me. I'm like, my quads don't look good in this picture. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that's Wow. that's like you though too because she looks at her butt and it's like just like badonkin butt you know and she's like it's not, it's not big enough and i'm like what like grotesquely What constitutes large big? butt do you want you know what i mean Yeah. dude I mean, to I be do. fair we do the same shit Yeah. It's just like, man, I just get frustrated with how slow muscle gain takes. Yeah. And how much work is required on my part? It's like, I can't do it anymore. Like now my goal is to maintain my muscle mass because, you know, I'm getting older and uh, I can't train. <laughs> well, I am getting older, man. <laughs> but like, I can't train like I used to. Like when
you know you're big and you're not small. It's just that the efforts that you're putting in to building more muscle mass, it feels like you should be bigger. And then that's that is that's, that's how I feel. The, the for, for me, especially back in the day, I actually well, no, it's still now. I actually felt like I was a smaller human. So it's like I'll give you a prime example. I was giving, I was going through my closet after long overdue to like give a bunch of clothes to Amity. And I was collecting all these clothes and I was like, oh, why don't you like give this to your brother? Like to Vanessa. Keep in mind, my brother is 140 pounds. Okay. And I'm, I had my extra large, extra, extra large stuff. I'm like, like my oh, brother's why don't you give this to your brother? But like in my head, I felt like her brother could wear my clothes. You know what I mean? I was like, as crazy as that is, but like I genuinely walk around a population of people. I was like, I feel like I'm the same size as everyone else. In the same way. I mean, like, I'm 250 pounds, so it's not like I'm s small by any means, but I still, I still feel small. I still, and, and like, at the point where my body's bigger than it's ever been, so I'm, like, bumping into stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I still feel small, and, and I mean, I don't think, I don't think that stuff ever goes away, and I, I you know, I come from a childhood where I was overweight, so I'll always feel fat and I'll always feel small it doesn't matter even when I was like show ready I'm like I'm not lean enough well, and this shit never I think that's yeah I'm sure oh. that kind of messes with you when you're at that point that stage in the yeah. game you know yeah. yeah but I mean this is something that I think it's worth it can potent it has the potential to take you down a pathway of very we'll call them deleterious self behaviors whether on one side of the coin where you're like i'm not lean enough or on the other side of the coin where you're like i'm not big enough yeah. you know i've had it i've experienced it myself i work with clients on it understanding that you know vanessa it is the long game you're going to have to put in a ton of work to get the muscle mass that you want and hypertrophy takes a really long time on the fat loss side of things. Like maybe it's going to take you a couple, a couple cuts to get as low as you want to go. And maybe as low as you want to be, isn't maintainable. That was probably the hardest thing for me to learn as far as an athlete was that, you know, my body fat set point where I perform and feel at my best isn't my preferred body composition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and I think that's like a mature thing, like a mature athlete thing that you need to recognize, right? Like your healthiest and your healthiest body or the body that you feel your best in is not necessarily going to be the one that you look your best and you shouldn't compromise your health or how you're feeling just for aesthetics, right? And it's also important to remember that like your optimal especially when we're talking about performance and health your optimal body composition is going to be completely different than someone else and i think like always the comparison i always show my clients is camille leblanc basinet versus tia claire both oh, yeah. cross games winners completely different body composition mm -hmm. and i i work with clients especially female clients who say like oh i don't feel I have the body that represents the work that I put in the gym. I'm like, Oh, that's a powerful statement. What does that look like? Yeah. It's like, that does not have one look that looks different for everyone. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But to like the body image thing, like, I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, if you have a deemed, you know, like perfect body, you don't struggle with body image. Or if you're a coach, you don't struggle with those things when it's like your body literally has nothing to do with the body image struggles that you have. Someone who can be super lean has body image issues. But then I feel bad because like there's people saying, oh, like, what do you have to, you know, worry about? Or like, oh, why are you struggling with that? Because they think that, oh, that person has a good body. But what we like to bring attention to as coaches is like a lot of the behaviors that we do as people uh, that can impact how we feel about our body image. So if you're constantly walking across the mirror or walking by the mirror and checking yourself out, lifting up your shirt, if you're constantly like pinching at your stomach or something or negative self-talk, it's like all of those behaviors are going to create a negative body image 
no matter how amazing your body is mm -hmm. in actuality. Exactly. The behaviors feed into the image, not yeah. always the, the other way around. Yeah. And that's why you know it's important to practice body image positivity, mm -hmm. which long story short means that flexibility, body image flexibility, sorry, body image flexibility, where long story short, it means that if I have a negative body image thought, if that's okay, let's recognize it as a negative body image thought. Let's categorize it as something different and not just a thought. And let's not follow through on what that thought is trying to get me to do. Because as long as we can identify it as a negative body image thought and we don't let it influence our subsequent actions, it no longer has power over us. The, I communicate that similarly, but in a different way and just make people realize that it's a feeling that's coming about you're not fat or you don't have these um physical things physical traits it's a feeling and those feelings are fleeting and it will pass so when you yeah. kind of detach it from your external image and understand that it's just a feeling and it's going to pass um yeah it's it helps people understand that and and recognize that it, it will go mm -hmm. yeah, and you're, you're categorizing it as something different you know that the negative body image feeling, negative body image thought, like it's something different. It's mm -hmm. not reality. It's not true. It's, it's not like, different yeah, thing. part of you. Yeah. Seems to be a common theme in our conversation where we're choosing the language that we use with ourselves very carefully. And that's something that I've become, especially in the last few years, more and more aware of my language and, and how I speak to myself and how I speak to others, because at the core of it, our language is the way that we conceptualize the world around us, right? It's how we describe our world. So if the words that we're using to describe our world are negative or are, you know, potentially harmful to our, our mindset, that's going, again, that's going to be a habit and a reflex that gets built where you develop this negative filter over everything you see. And, you know, Maybe I shouldn't be checking out how lean I am after every every poop I take. Maybe I shouldn't. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. Um, did you find any questions in your question box when you looked? I, Literally not. We had a quiet down Instagram guys. <laughs> guys. Honestly, I uh I find when I don't ask people for questions, they ha have all the questions in the world for me. And then when I Propose an opportunity Literally, to yeah. ask questions. I, I think that box is intimidating. I've had, I've had yeah, Q and A days where I have no questions asked, and I've had Q and A days where I have like twenty five plus questions, and there seems to be no like rhyme or reason, like what dictates. About, yeah, it's just like social media. I think it, it is it is something to do with the social media algorithm because it's the same. It's like once I'll either get like one or two or a whole bunch, and it's once a couple start to come in, then so many okay well you know what we're gonna jump there, into some quick hit questions or there the, was oh yeah there was a question okay yeah yeah right. um i'm planning to start a cut but still want to prioritize my legs should i have a larger deficit on rest days and upper body days and have a higher calorie carb day on leg days not necessary to do that I don't well I think I might approach this from a little bit of a different perspective I first would want to know what this person feels is going to be the most sustainable thing for them because at the end of the day whenever it comes to making changes like this it comes down to sustainability so even if something is better on paper according to our understanding of uh, nutrition, performance, knowledge, what is optimal for muscle gain, muscle retention, et cetera. If it is inherently unsustainable for the person then I'm not interested in implementing it. Yep. And I, that goes with, with my coaching also. So that's the first thing that I want to know, but no, I don't think it is necessary. Um, unless the higher calorie intake and higher carb intake on those training days, because of the deficit that they're pushing is going to give them so much more energy that they're able to perform better during those sessions. So maybe a little bit higher calories on those day on that day or a refeed on that day 
but I don't think there needs to be any extreme change. That can be something as simple as I mean, like 50 grams more carbs or something. Yeah, I didn't uh, remember the full question, but if this is just like a normal deficit for you know fat loss, then I would just also reduce the extreme of that deficit and make sure that you can still perform well and live well and feel good because <laughs> mm -hmm. then you don't need to do anything drastic. Mm -hmm. I would say at the beginning of a fat loss phase, your calories aren't low enough to need to do that so you'd still have enough energy intake to support those leg days um, and then you also want to think about too the fatigue that would accumulate from the really low days and you're not going to be able to offset that with the food on your higher calorie leg days so you're mm -hmm. just going to accumulate this fatigue anyways that you're not able to to come back from um so I think getting deeper into that deficit, maybe you just increase your your energy output on your rest and your upper body days. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, like the biggest thing here is someone's mindset too, because mm -hmm. some people go into a fat loss phase and they're like, oh my God, I've lost all my strength. I've lost all my muscle. And then they start performing differently in training. Whereas mm -hmm. other people where it's like, okay, I just removed however many calories and they go into their training sessions just like normal. And yeah, it's totally like people train like they're on a diet. Yeah. Like, and in my personal experience, every time that I have been in a fat loss phase, because I'm trying to make weight for competition, those are like my highest numbers ever. Like I've never had my performance impacted from a calorie deficit ever. Yeah. I think, so if I'm going to take a bit of a different approach, just to, just to add contrast, I really like looking at the weekly average calories as the means for looking at the calorie deficit. So mm -hmm. in my opinion, as long as at the end of the week, your average calories are at a point where you're at a deficit, it really doesn't matter day to day where those calories lie. If you want to maximize every possible opportunity for muscle retention, performance, stimulus, et cetera, yeah, you'll probably want to have higher calories on those days. What I would probably do is at the beginning, I wouldn't care. As the deficit gets so large, now you're accumulating more systemic fatigue. Now you could look at those, let's say two leg days a week for uh, you know a bodybuilder, male trying to prioritize, or maybe you know if you're a, a female physique competitor trying to prioritize maybe three lower body sessions a week, you pick your two most important ones. And I would actually treat those days like a diet break. So I would be in a much stricter deficit on the other days and then bring those calories all the way back up to maintenance for those two days of the week. So you get into like a five, two type of diet split where those two days are separated. That's where I've actually found the performance decline can be mitigated to some extent, even if it is just a mental break from a deficit. The issue is with that and people who've dieted for long periods of time will know if you have those two days of higher calorie intake, the days that you are lower, you will be significantly more hungry, which will make the sustainability much harder. Yeah, yeah for exactly. Sure. And let's not forget caffeine. I mean, caffeine, clenbuterol, all the, you know, all the <laughs> extra coffee on the leg days. Nicotine gum. Um, in any case, I like to finish our podcast off with some ridiculous quick hit questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> who's, the, who's the better cook? Oh, no. That, that is. Who makes fresh pasta? Yeah. Who makes pasta? Who makes pizza? I will say that Greg cooks more frequently, but I don't think he's. Bro, that's like saying, like, I just haven't proven my skills yet. Okay. Quality, quantity. Quality, quantity. Okay. Yeah. Um, good. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> coffee? Espresso. Pick one. Espresso. Espresso. Wait, can I have milk in it? Because my answer changes. Okay. Yeah, then espresso. espresso with milk. If it's black, then filter coffee. Oh, he is like a super coffee snob. I know. I'm like, I live vicariously through Greg's coffee. <laughs> well, if you guys come to Europe, we will gladly make you some coffee at our place. <laughs> Here, okay, here's the thing with coffee for me. I love a nice cup of coffee that's like 
you know, the fair trade shade grown, you know, <laughs> blood diamond coffee. Love it. Um, but I have zero desire to weigh my coffee and measure my water and do the whole thing. And I understand the meditative part of it and how it's like the routine. I get it. So that's why I just live. I'd let you do it. And I just watch it. That's good. That's fair. Hey, the best cup of coffee is the one that you enjoy. Fair. Fair. <laughs> That's great when he's trying not to be a snob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's the what's your favorite place that you've ever visited? I hit I a big milestone this year, uh, or last year, and I got to 40 countries that I've traveled to. Holy That's shit. a really tough question. Can we give you like a top three? Sure. Yeah. I, I think we did there. we did this the other day, didn't we? Uh no, we did like if you could only travel to the Oh places. yeah. We, okay. we we always played hypothetical games with each I will give you one from like three different continents. Okay. So Europe is Italy because I just am obsessed. More with specifically. Riva del Garda. Riva del Garda. In Northern yeah. Italy. Incredible. Mm -hmm. I loved Colombia mm -hmm. and Korea. South Korea was awesome. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say North Korea. <laughs> yeah, they let me in. That's awesome. <laughs> um, my answers are going to be very similar in that. Oh, yeah. what? what are we talking about? Okay, go ahead. I thought Iceland was going to be up there. Yeah. So, like, maybe. No. I think Riva Belgarda, Italy. I think Tokyo, Japan rather than South Korea for you. And then I would agree with Colombia. Okay. 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 I uh, wrote all that down, added to my list. Did yeah. You? Yes, you did. <laughs> what is your favorite music to listen to together? Oh, Latino. Latino, vive Latino. Fun fact, I do not listen to music ever. Yeah. Like, Ever. I used to train. We have a gym in our basement when we were in Canada, and I used to train in pure silence. Like a psychopath. Like, I Very literally. I would come downstairs, and it's just like dead silence. She's just like this on the bench. Just I'm just like waiting in between bed. Like, what the hell? Like, what is going on? Channeling your inner Eastern block. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess so. Totally. She needs a cigarette and like a tea, and then she'd, she'd be full blown. Matching, a matching Adidas sweatsuit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Like, do, you, do you have any ridiculous questions that you would like to ask? Um, no. No? Okay. No. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about your company. What's coming up for you guys? Do you have anything big planned or any, any next steps? Our company. Well, we, that is yeah. our we are, we are the co-owners of Evolve to Excel Nutrition Performance. We specialize in one-on-one -on -one nutrition and lifestyle coaching, uh, helping our clients get from where they are to where they want to be. Work with a wide range of people, from athletes to people just taking their first steps into all things health and fitness. And we leverage evidence-based techniques along with behavior change techniques to get them the best results possible. Um, what is coming up for us? Well, we just actually finished a course. We just made a course to, awesome. yeah, yeah, it was kind of something that I think is kind of missing in the industry right now, but uh, we are essentially helping people build consistency with their habits. So helping them break kind of that all or nothing thinking, yo-yo dieting. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a problem solution type course. So we have like five examples from our years of experience with our clients, like the most common areas where all or nothing thinking tends to pop up where people say, you know, screw this and give up on their goals. Mm -hmm. um, and we provide them with some, you know, mindset and behavior change tools that they can implement right away to help them build that consistency and kind of get off that I'm on and I'm off the wagon type thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the cool things we're working on, yeah. And then we just actually hired a new coach in December, too. Awesome. Good for you. I was going to say yeah. that you just uh, brought a new coach onto your team. So that's a big... Yeah, we need a bit of a bit more capacity to uh, grow the business a little bit more. So like we were saying about health and fitness, that's got to come from somewhere. So we uh, have a new coach so that I can 
do some more business things mm -hmm. in the back end. So yeah. Awesome. When's the sure. course launch? We just launched it a couple of weeks ago. So okay. it is available. It is um price, I think, you know, quite low, all things considered, given the value, because we wanted to create something that is a little bit more accessible for people. We know not everyone, you know, is has the privilege to work one-on-one -on -one with a coach. We know that is a little bit more of a luxury service. So having this course was a, a way for us to be able to help more people at a more cost-friendly way. Love it. I love it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was a lot of fun just to catch up and pick your brain on a yeah. few things. <laughs> thank I you for having me. Uh, hope that we can do this again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is our first podcast ever. So we just popped our podcast Wait, chair. What? Yeah. yeah. We've never done a podcast before. You've done, Wait, did I do you've one? done one. Yeah. But I, did I, one? I forget. Someone oh, I did one with Christy. No, okay. This is her first one. Yeah, it's my first Sorry, I'm very experienced. Guys. <laughs> yeah, this is great. And it was very nice to actually speak to you guys yeah. for the first time. It was exactly how I imagined. <laughs> oh, perfect. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> overpromise. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. If you do have any questions, it is my goal to bring on an expert in that field to answer your questions. So drop them in the comments and we'll catch you on the next one.